Greetings, film fans, and welcome to another edition of the following feature podcast. I'm your host, Arthur Wilde, and I'm here every week to uh, give you a rundown of the latest film news uh, and some film reviews. Uh, we like to talk about what's going on in the film world, if that's a, a thing. And then we break down some films that I have watched, which are okay. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Um, it's kind of going to mug it off this week. Uh, not feeling great. Not really feeling overly enthused about the whole situation. Kind of had that paranoid feeling that I'm just wasting my time sat in a room talking to myself once a week. Yeah. So this might be the last episode. I don't know. I'm, I'm really not sure what to think of it all, to be honest. Um, I do like doing it, but um, again, I think it's just... It's one of those weird, self-indulgent things that, you know, I'm just doing for my own benefit. Um, it's a nice positive start, isn't it? Well, look, it is what it is. Um, not always positive every week. Can't always be completely happy and enthusiastic all the time. Uh, I'm just kind of in a bit of a rut this weekend, but... You know what? Thankfully, I've got movies to keep me company um, and cheer me up, as they do. So, let's get into the film news. And the first thing we're going to talk about is, well, let's face it, the one thing we have to talk about is DC fandom. Uh, as I've mentioned a few times, DC, um, like Marvel and like Disney, all these people, they couldn't do all their big usual reveals um, at Comic-Con this year. So, they've all decided to do their own little kind of online things. Um... DC Fandom basically was a virtual conference that you go to, or convention, sorry. And uh, they had all kinds of things going on. They had loads of information about their TV shows, different reveals about video games and stuff. And the most important thing, which obviously is the bit I'm going to be talking about, is their movies. Um, now DC, they've not really had the greatest run recently. They've been trying to kind of match the, the success of Marvel. Um, but Marvel, they were they were very patient in building up what was what turned out to be the biggest franchise of all time um i know there's been franchises that have released more films but not in that amount of time in 10 years they had like 21 films out and that's just for that all to be part of one story arc as well was just phenomenal we haven't seen anything like that in cinema and whilst people were very concerned about the oversaturation of superhero films in the market as superhero fans and comic book fans we used to an oversaturated market we've never been able to get enough of this stuff so yeah, we keep buying the tickets, we keep going, and so they keep making more and more films, and long may it continue. That's what I say. But DC have been struggling to keep up with their rivals, and whilst they did try to create their shared universe in the same way that Marvel had, they, they rushed it. They rushed it. They tried to basically jump into their like sort of multi-superhero, all-for-one movie, um, only about two or three films into their their franchise, you know, expanded universe. Um, we had Man of Steel, uh, we had Batman versus Superman, and then boom, Justice League. It 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 was too much too quickly, and um, and the thing was, the studio didn't really know how to manage their their projects, and they tried to rush certain people and kind of create something. When when they saw the the success of the Avengers, uh, they really wanted that to be exactly what they were making um and it's no surprise that when um 
Zack Snyder stepped back from Justice League to kind of deal with the family tragedy he was experiencing. They snuck in behind his back and, and got Avengers director Joss Whedon in to just fluff it up a bit more. Now, again, I've said this before, what he did for Avengers was absolutely perfect because that's the tone that they were going for. It wasn't the tone they were going for in the DC world. It wasn't the tone that Zack Snyder had set up and it definitely wasn't the visual style. So it just, yeah, what a mess. But luckily we can scrap that one now and forget about it because as we knew before this DC fandom, we're getting Zack Snyder's Justice League. So we're going to get the original concept and idea and you know what it might not turn out to be fantastic people might not enjoy it and it might might have been a waste of time but what we're going to get now and and what has been confirmed they did actually reveal uh, a trailer for his concept the Zack Snyder Justice League looks brilliant I mean say what you want about the director but he has a visual style that is just breathtaking at times and I'm really intrigued to see what he's going to do with this um, and, you know, I'm also of the impression that his projects that don't necessarily work are the ones that are refined, the ones where they're asking him to like sort of just bring it a little bit, edit out a lot of stuff and just put together something which is, quote, DC approved. Nah, it just, yeah, they've, so they've not been able to kind of um, hit the ground running the way that Marvel had, but they've, they've turned a corner now because what they're what they're actually doing is is allowing people to explore different ideas with with DC material. Um, and the best version we've seen of that so far is uh, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. That whole vision um, was a huge success. Um, and it looks like they're going to have a similar thing with the Batman. Uh, they did actually reveal the first proper trailer at uh, DC Fandom last night, and... It looks good. Oh, I really, really enjoyed this trailer. It's got me very, very excited. Um, again, you know, we've seen Batman on screen a number of times now. Um, it's really hard to kind of think about what you could do with that, which would still sound of well, what feel kind of original and fresh. Um, so as I was saying before, Matt Reeves has gone back and he's looking at the original detective comics that... Um, Batman originated from and he's supposed to be uh, you know a super intelligent man and the world's greatest detective so that's what they're kind of setting up here he's still got the suit on he still has the armor but it's it's kind of set kind of early days Batman where he's still kind of establishing who he is in regards to like solving crime and being a vision like a symbol of hope for Gotham um yeah and and the trailer shows that we're getting a very down-to-earth um, gritty Batman. And a lot of people are like, oh, isn't that what we got with Christopher Nolan's Batman? Well, yeah, but this is what Batman is. Um, you know, some people will only know Batman from the Adam West TV show or maybe the Joel Schumacher films. And they'll think that occasionally people have tried to make Batman dark. Batman is dark. He is the darkness. Um, not the the band. That's... That's a bunch of white guys from England. But he is... And he quotes in this... in this One of my favourite moments of the trailer. You expect him to go, I'm Batman. Because all actors do that. The one thing they look forward to, it's a bit like playing James Bond and getting to say, I'm Bond. James Bond. That's the line that you want to say. And as Batman, you want to be able to kind of like 
say, like when you're holding the criminal by his collar and he's screaming, who the hell are you, man? And you're like, I'm Batman. That's that's what you want to achieve. Um, but they've, they've kind of, oh, oh, they've thrown us a bit of a curveball here. They've taken us by surprise. When he beats the living bejesus out of this one guy, um, they're like, who the hell are you? He's like, I am vengeance. Oh, oh, the goosebumps. I really think Robert Pattinson's going to do a fantastic job of this. He's played some very kind of dark and, you know, um, broken characters in the past. And he does it really, really well. Um, but he is quite um, a dashing guy as well. So he's going to have this, the charm and sophistication of Bruce Wayne. Um, but he's also going to have the the physicality and the, the dark broodiness of Batman. And I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It does look really good. Check out the trailer because, you know, I say it's got it's got um, the Riddler in there. It's got Catwoman in there. Apparently the Penguin's in there. But unless that really is um, Colin Farrell in some heavy, heavy makeup and like some actual prosthetics, then I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But we've got to see Jim Gordon. Um, and the thing is as well, like, as I say, like I work as a, a supporting artist or extra, as you probably better know us. Um, and I know a lot of people have been working on the Batman. Um, it's kind of annoyed me because I live about like a 20 minute drive from these massive airship hangars from the First World War. And they, they're used a lot as a film studio. Um, I spent two and a half months up there a few years ago filming Dumbo. And it's an amazing place to go, but it's right on my doorstep, and it's the most convenient place in the world for me to film. So I'm really frustrated at the fact that over over the years I've only done one fucking film up there, and 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 as much as I want to be in a Batman film, this is like the fourth of these films that they made up there. Um, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy, all made. If you think Gotham looks familiar, uh, well, what you're actually seeing there is is um, a small town in the outskirts of Bedford. Um, and yeah, uh, that, that in, in fact, in the third film at the beginning where they show them outside two air hangars and it's supposed to be deepest, darkest Africa. No, no. It's a small village called Cardington in Bedfordshire. Just off the bypass. Can't miss it. But there you go. Um, so yeah, we're going to, you know, the, the Batman looks fantastic, but what else did DC reveal? Well, not much. Really, we were expecting some huge reveals from this thing, and basically what they did is show us a little bit more of everything that we've already seen. Um, we we're hoping for a Black Adam trailer, uh, and we've heard information that it's you know the Black Adam film, which stars The Rock as basically the anti-hero to um, uh, what do you call him, Zachary Levy's uh, Shazam. Um, Black Adam, the film, is going to include members of the JSA, the Justice Society of America which includes Hawkman, Dr. Fate, etc. Um, so that's an interesting development of that film. But again, they gave us a trailer, which was Dwayne The Rock Johnson reading a paragraph over some concept art. It wasn't a trailer. That was a bit of a letdown. And as far as Shazam 2, we did get our title, Shazam, Fury of the Gods. That sounds exciting, but no trailer. Aquaman 2, we've been told it's going to be a much more serious film. But... No trailer. And finally, Suicide Squad. Sequel to Suicide Squad. That's not going to be confusing, is it? 
we uh we got a, a big character reveal in regards to all there's, there's about like 50 actors in this fucking thing and and there are so many different characters and we got confirmation of who everyone's playing but guess what no trailer so i mean i don't really know what to say um Oh, yeah, no, Wonder Woman 1984. We did get a new trailer for that, but we got, like, about 10% more footage than we'd had in previous trailers, so whoopity fucking do. Do you know what I mean? Um, but, yeah. We, I, the other thing as well, um, they did mention that they're going to be revealing a secret project. Now, maybe this event's still going on, and maybe there is still more information to come, but... I don't know. I knew about everything they've, they've revealed. In fact, I'm sure pretty much everything I've talked about uh, just now has been talked about in the podcast before, so who knows? Anyway, in more new film news, remember we're talking about a lot of films that aren't getting released, uh, or at least the films are being put back to next year. Well, um, we saw Artemis Fowl finally got its release on Disney+, and Disney are thinking, hey, 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 that kind of worked, um, so we're going to do it again. And Mulan, the uh, the big Disney remake, or the big Disney live-action remake that's uh, following in the footsteps of Dumbo and Lion King and all that, that jazz, um, is getting released exclusively on Disney+. Plus. So I know what you're thinking. Hey, I've got Disney+. Plus. I can't wait to show that to my kids. Well, wait a second. Wait a second. Because you're not, you're not just going to get to watch it. Just because you're paying for Disney+, Plus doesn't mean you get to watch Disney films. No, 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 no. What they're actually doing is saying, hey, you can have exclusive access to renting this film. And once you once you pay for it once, it'll be in your library forever. Yes, yes, you have to pay for it. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's all right. You know, I've been on Amazon Prime. I've done the $3.99 or $4.99 to rent a movie. That's fine. I don't mind doing that. Okay, well, guess what? £30. I'll let that sink in. You want to watch Mulan on Disney Plus? That's an extra 30 quid. Now, admittedly, it stays in your library, so as long as you have Disney Plus, you have Mulan. If you stop subscribing to Disney Plus, you lose Mulan. So, what are you going to do? Now, some people are saying, you know, as far as taking a whole family to the cinema to buy two adult tickets and two kids' tickets, plus the popcorn and treats that come with it, you're easily spending more than £30. So, as far as a family viewing is concerned, it's a bargain. And if you're one of those parents whose kids got into Frozen, and you found yourself needing to watch that film 70 times a day, you may think that you're going to get your money's worth. And fair enough, some of you will. But what about the rest of the audience? There are some people who want to see the film just the once. They want to see it and go, ah, okay, I get it. And then maybe eventually they'll get the Blu-ray or something like that to add to their collection. But for this digital download that can only be watched on one platform, which you have to continue paying a subscription for in order to watch it, £30. Now, I'm saying £30. I don't necessarily know that's going to be the price. Um, In the US, it's $30 plus. So maybe it's going to be about 25 quid over here. But still, still, you know, I don't know. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. But um, 
I think a lot of other companies are watching Disney to see how that works out because it might be a good idea, but if it backfires, they're going to want to see how Disney deal with it first. Now, Disney are the kind of company that can take a hit, but at the moment, they're losing millions upon millions because a lot of their revenue comes from their parks, and their parks are all shut at the moment. Now, they are starting to open them in, in phases, and they're trying to do it with, with um, social distancing, but their biggest parks are in America, and America aren't really handling the infection too well. Um, so, especially in Florida, holy fuck, that's, that's a hot spot for the virus. So, Disney World is probably not going to be opening anytime soon. If it is open, I don't know. But anyway, Disney, Disney themselves are losing a lot of money. Um, and I think they're hoping to recoup a lot from the sales of this movie. But I don't know, that's, you know, it's a lot of money to ask, especially considering um, the amount of uh, people in America that are experiencing the recession now. Uh, because, you know, we're all going through a financial hardship and, and a lot of families, especially, um, you know, a lot of working class families that are getting hit the hardest, um, they're not going to have an, a spare 30 bucks to throw away on a Disney film that their kids might like. I mean, what if it's shit? Has anyone thought of that? This isn't guaranteed to be a great film. And let's face it, the Disney live action remakes haven't exactly been acclaimed successes, have they? So we'll see. We'll see what's going to happen. But um, yeah, I don't think it's a great idea. But then I, I wasn't really excited about seeing Mulan anyway. I haven't even seen the original Mulan. It's just nothing, something that hasn't appealed to me. I am not the target audience, mea culpa. Now, in other news, this is a, a bit of news that's really kind of interested me. Pedro Pascal, who you may know from uh, a few different things, um, he was the Viper in Game of Thrones. Um, he was also he's the Mandalorian in the Mandalorian. Hey, Mando, Mando, Aloriano. Anyway. Um, He's actually going to be playing uh, a Nicolas Cage supervan in a movie about Nicolas Cage starring Nicolas Cage. Now, who better to play Nick Cage, huh? Well, the thing is, this sounds like a really good idea because um, the, the story is that uh, this superfan pays a million dollars to have N Nicolas Cage be a guest at his party. Um, but things don't go according to plan and Nicolas Cage is forced to rely on all the skills he's learned playing films, or playing films? Playing different characters in films to get himself out of this very, very dangerous and scary situation. So, yeah, I kind of had to double-check that this wasn't a Charlie Kaufman film, because um, it, it reminds me quite a lot of Being John Malkovich, um, which, if you haven't seen, it's a wonderful, wonderful film. Uh, one of the most original films I've ever seen, and fantastic performance from John Malkovich as John Malkovich. So, Nicolas Cage, um, we've been looking for his most ideal role. Maybe playing Nicolas Cage is, is the role that's really going to make him. Who knows? But it does sound like a very interesting project. It's called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. I'm sure it's going to be a lot funnier than it sounds. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of kind of tongue-in-cheek humour. Um, but yeah, what a project. That just sounds like it's it's got gold like just dripping out of its orifices. What the fuck? Anyway, let's move on to some more news. Sasha Baron Cohen keeps getting spotted doing stuff. No one's really sure what he's doing, but um, you might have remembered recently he was at a Trump rally, 
Um, it was a, a genius move. He'd managed to convince the people doing this Trump rally that he was um, quite uh, a significant country and Western star, and that he had written a song especially in support of Trump, um, and they'd agreed to have him come down and perform. Um, and what he did, he brought security with him, uh, under the guise of him being like sort of, you know, hoarded, hounded by fans and stuff, and uh, so he got the security to make sure that the stage was covered. And it turns out his Trump Ray song was um, one of his typical, you know, piss take, ironic songs about white supremacy that he was actually getting the crowd to sing along with, exposing exactly who they are. And when people, when the organisers try to get on stage to stop him, the security rightly stood in their way and, and just let him perform the entire song. Um, so that was that was a, a great moment, um, but no one really knew what it was for. Um, there's some speculation that he was making this is America too, but uh, now it seems that the speculation has led to hit the possibility of it being a sequel to his classic film Borat, because he's been filmed as Borat, filming very Borat-type scenarios. Um, now. Again, this might be related to the, the Trump rally thing. It could, it might not be. But Borat isn't part of This Is America. And Sasha Baron Cohen is saying that that was a one-off and that people would be expecting it. So it's not something that he could do again. But I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of people that are completely ignorant to just who he is and what he does. <clears throat> so whilst it could be a, a, a potential sequel to Borat, Nothing's confirmed yet, and Sasha is being very, very... He's playing his cards close to his chest on this one. But that's great, because um, he has a proven track record of being absolutely fantastic at this kind of stuff, and I'm sure whatever he ends up doing, it'll, it'll be worth a watch. Uh, in other news, Olivia Wilde, the actress, um, no relation to me, is set to direct a female-centred uh, spin-off movie from the Spider-Man franchise. Now... <clears throat> This is an interesting development because uh, Olivia Wilde, she's not really well known for her directing. Um, she's only done a couple of little bits and pieces, uh, but apparently she has quite an eye for it. And there's there's some speculation that one of the characters that really went down well in the uh, Into the Spider-Verse animated movie was um, Spider-Gwen. Um, Spider-Gwen is uh, basically Gwen Stacy, um, one of Spider-Man's old girlfriends, who in the original storyline was uh, unfortunately killed. Um, but in this alternate reality, uh, she's the one that got bit by the spider, and she ended up being Spider-Woman. Or Spider-Girl. I think Spider-Woman. I think she describes herself as Spider-Woman. Um, so yeah, there's speculation that that could be the film that she's working on. There's a lot of different um, things involved in the, the Spider-Man universe. Uh, Spider-Man being the one character that's crossing over from the MCU... And um, was it Sony's expanded Marvel Universe? Simu, or whatever it's called. I don't know. But basically, um, what they're doing over at Sony is they've got the, the, the Spider-Man films, which is um, a cross-promotion with them and Marvel. But they're also having the spin-off films. We've already seen Venom with Tom Hardy, and we're getting Venom... Um, what's, what's the sequel called? It's Carnage. Uh... Venom, 
Let's have carnage. I can't remember what it's called now. Laptop right in front of me. I could Google it, but fuck it. Let's just move on. Olivia Wilde's going to direct a film, um, which is going to tie into the Spider-Man movies, but it's not going to be a Marvel film. It's going to be a Sony film, so it's going to tie in more with the Venom films and uh, Morbius um, and what could be a Sinister Six uh, thing that's building up. Who knows? We'll we'll have more on that, I'm sure, as as, as things develop. Um, I'm sure we'll know more about that. When, when the Venom sequel comes out and when Morbius comes out, we'll have a better idea of just how Spider-Man fits into that whole universe. Uh, and then we'll be able to speculate a bit more about exactly where the, the female spider verse movie is going to fit into that but it's an interesting development and um yeah and, and it really should be um heralded by a female director i think um i think that's that's a, a, the best thing for it when guys get hold of female superheroes uh, there's just too many oblig- obligatory like sort of like they've always got to be looking over their shoulder so their butt can be in the shot do you know what i mean it's just gratuitous and whilst i am not against seeing beautiful women in, in tight clothing I also, you know, don't want them to be subjected to some kind of sexualization for the sake of ratings, you know? Uh, I'm not sure if I'm making my point very clearly, but uh, female superheroes should be seen as superheroes first and females second. Because no one refers to, like, sort of Captain America and Thor and, and the Hulk as male superheroes. They just call them superheroes. And there's no need to distinct to have a distinction between the, the two different genders. So I think it's very important that you allow um, women to make these films. Like, is it Patty Jenkins that makes the Wonder Woman films? What she did with that film, the first one, was fantastic. She really made this woman seem like a very powerful entity. But her, her femininity and her sexualization, like none of that was kind of brought into the story. Um, and whilst there was a romance, um, it, it I liked the way that it kind of used the um, the male love interest as a side character rather than trying to make them the protagonist and make the superhero a side character. Because let's face it, we got a Wonder Woman film in the eighties. Um, that's that's probably more what we would have got. With if you saw the old Wonder Woman like TV shows as well, it was. You know, just a skimpy outfit, and whilst the woman was the hero, it was one of those things that she was still dealt with as like an inferior because she was a woman, and it's just, it's a weird thing. But in this modern age, in this post Me Too age, we need to make sure that we're giving them uh, the recognition as superheroes first and women second. I think Patty Jenkins has set the tone for that. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing what Olivia Wilde does with a female spider hero movie. Spider hero? Is that a term? You know what I'm talking about. Um, our last bit of news this week uh, is an interesting project, which I've heard some rumours about, but now they've revealed the cast for um, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Now, if you know del Toro, he makes some visually beautiful films, but quite dark films as well. Um, one of my favourites of all times is uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Um, uh, but he's also made uh, things like, he made the Hobbit films, and he also made, um, uh, what was it? Oh yeah, Pacific Rim. Jesus. That's a film I need to talk about one day, because that is 
a much better film than I think a lot of people give it credit for. Uh, but yeah, his latest project is T Pinocchio. And whilst, you know, this isn't going to be the same as Mulan. This isn't going to be another kind of Disney family-friendly kind of sweet, innocent film. This is this is going to be dark. And this, it could be quite an interesting thing because um, they've announced that Ewan McGregor has joined the project. He's going to be playing Jiminy Cricket. Um, and David Bradley is being brought in to play Giuseppe, the toy maker. Now, David Bradley, you might recognise um, from... Uh, well, he played um, William Hartnell uh, in the Doctor Who, like, uh, dramatisation. Um, oh, I can't remember what that was called now. A Story of Time and... Well, the, the story about Doctor Who. Uh, David Bradley, oh, what else has he been in? Oh, I'll tell you what he was in recently. Um, there's a TV show called Mandy that's just dropped on the BBC... Uh, and it's a it's a very short series. If you want to binge it, it's six episodes and they're about 14 minutes each. And there's one episode, episode five, which is called Meat, um, where Mandy has to take this old man's dog for a walk. Uh, and the old man's played by David Bradley. Uh, but she almost she's almost late for the, the meeting because she's bothering some poor soul who sat on a bench trying to enjoy a cigarette. And she's talking to him about his her meat smoothies. Um, and that, that guy on the bench is played by me And I got to do a bit of acting that day And it was a lot of fun um, But yeah David Bradley He's going to be playing Giuseppe um, Google him if you don't if you don't know him you'll, As soon as you see his face You'll know exactly what I'm talking about But other cast members that have been announced Are also Tilda Swinton uh, Christoph Waltz Kate uh, Blanchett Ron Perlman John Turturro And Tim Blake Nelson Plus many more now, I'm not surprised. I mean, any decent actor who hears that um, Del Toro is going to make a, a story such as Pinocchio, yep, they're definitely going to jump at the chance to be in, in that. Because um, he's a wonderful visionary director. Um, and it's an amazing project to be a part of. I mean, as I say, it's not. I don't think it's going to be directed at the family. Um, I think it's going to be more in line with the likes of Pan's Labyrinth. It's going to be quite a, a dark... Um, telling of the story but maybe more closer to the actual original text than you know the version that we all grew up with who knows as soon as i find out more i'll let you know but that's that's pretty much all i know at the moment okay film review time and uh the first film i'm going to review uh is actually currently available on sky movies uh and the reason why I picked a film on Sky Movies, is that I met up with my good friend Sam Watt on Wednesday for a a burger in a pub garden, uh, which was nice. It was good to catch up with some friends. Um, and one of Sam's complaints was that he's got Sky Movies, and there's loads of things to watch on Sky Movies, but I never recommend anything on Sky Movies. Well, this one's for you, Sam, um, and I have a terrible feeling that you're not even going to like it. What can I say? The film is The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, and it stars Adam Driver and Jonathan Price. Adam plays Toby, a director struggling to make a film about a legend of Don Quixote, when he is gifted a student film on the same subject that he made ten years previous, he's inspired to revisit the old film's location for inspiration. As he travels through the memories of his old film, he discovers the impact his film had on the small town, 
and how ignorant he had been to the legacy he had created. Desperate for answers, he delves deeper until he is reunited with the lead actor who seems to have lost, well, he seems to have been lost to senality, and believes himself to be the legend come to life. He believes he is the real Don Quixote, 400 years old and as chivalrous as ever. But as Toby tries to find a way to save his old friend and rescue his conscience, he finds himself slipping in and out of different time periods and struggling to make sense of all that's happening to him. When he's reunited with a young girl he cast in his film, and he comes to terms with the life that she's actually leading now, he finds himself more responsible for their salvation. But from what? The danger they've made for themselves? The madness that took them without encouragement? Or the guilt they've introduced to him, which could lead to the degradation of his own mental state? As the apparent curse enshrouds his work, he must escape. But from what? And from whom? And from where? He's still not sure. Now, if you've ever watched a Terry Gilliam film, this won't come as much of a surprise, but it's all over the fucking place. Um, there's a certain oddness and um, there's a certain incomprehensive plot that uh, is always a part of Terry Gilliam's films. If you've seen anything like um, uh, Brazil or The Adventures of Baron Munchausen or... Um, or 12 Monkeys, you'll know that there are, there is a plot, there is a story, and it, it does have a, uh, you know, a start, a middle, and an end, but there's a lot of what happens in his films that is just incoherent nonsense, and that's deliberate. That's, that's a, a, one of his traits, and what he likes to do is just kind of, just keep you guessing, not necessarily like kind of just by throwing red herrings out there, but by just adding a certain amount of weirdness and confusion just to kind of keep you on your toes and, and keep you unsure about what's going on. Because um, there, there is a, a, a underlying theme of madness in this film and the damage that films can, can have on people and places. Um, and it's something that Terry Gilliam was definitely trying to explore with the film. But you got to understand, this is a film that he's been trying to make for over 31 years. Back in 1989, uh, he began uh, pre-production on this film. Um, and instead of having Adam Driver, he actually had Johnny Depp involved. And there's been many actors associated with it. Each time he tries to push the film out there and, and start, you know, making it happen. Um... But it just never worked out, and there's been loads of problems with different producers, and legal battles, and, and money, and illness. Um, there was one time we had a, um, uh, a bit of a, a medical situation which got um, misconstrued as being a stroke, and everyone thought that he wasn't going to be able to carry on the film, so a lot of people moved on and, and disassociated themselves with the project. And It's been cursed. It's been cursed. But that curse has actually led to... Um, you know, a rewriting of the script and a new appreciation for how art imitates life sometimes, or life imitates art, one of those. Um, and what we have in this film is, for a start, we've got a fantastic performance from Adam Driver, um, who even Terry Gilliam said just seemed like the perfect person for the role. Um, he encapsulates this, this director who's just maybe a little bit too convinced by his own artistic value or worth um, but he doesn't really see himself as a normal person 
Um, and he's kind of ignorant and obnoxious to the world around him. Uh, and it's it's only by exploring what his work does to people and the impact that it has. Um, but not only that, uh, the legacy that his his ambition had, not just his you know his work ethic or his approach to other people um but just that there's so much to what he was trying to achieve as a student that he can't recreate as an established director he can't get people on his side because he's lost that kind of innocence and naivete um what he actually has is um money and arrogance and people aren't willing to, to be as patient with him or as understanding of his vision. And he's kind of like spiraled into this this um, guy that's so far up his own ass that he can't really take any feedback or criticism. He doesn't quite understand the consequences of what he's trying to do. He feels that his artistic integrity should just give him carte blanche to do whatever he wants. But when he realizes, you know, what the impact is of, of his ignorance and his inability to consider the consequences of his actions um he starts trying to you know compensate for that he tries to 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 help people um who aren't asking for his help um and he doesn't quite see the fact that like it was his interference in the first place that you know affected people in ways that he couldn't have foreseen um so it is, it is a fantastic film, and it's got some wonderful dramatic moments. Jonathan Price is absolutely outstanding as Don Quixote, um, and you know he's he's a man that's like sort of you, you know he's in different stages of losing his grip on reality, and you're not really sure how far down the road he is, and there's a weirdness about his his senility that makes you wonder if there's a reality behind it, something that you're not quite ready to accept because it doesn't quite fit in with your understanding of how the world works. Um, but, you know, Toby, the character played by Adam Driver, he's constantly at odds with the reality around him um, and his ability to, to you know, compartmentalise all of this different, all these different experiences that he's having um, and stay on, you know, stay focused into the goal that he's got. It, it's it's just madness. It's absolute madness. I'm I'm not doing a good job of explaining this, but that's kind of the point. It's it's there's there's so much weirdness to this film, um, but it's not just weird for the sake of being weird. It explores madness in a kind of abstract form, um, in a way that makes you empathise with the the confusion experienced by the protagonist it's a wonderful film you should really check it out um and whilst yes sam i'm, I'm kind of talking to you specifically check it out uh everyone else that's listening as well if you get a chance to check out the, the man who killed don quixote starring adam driver and john from price and directed by uh, terry gilligan give it a go it's a wonderful film if you're a terry gilligan fan you're gonna love this film <clears throat> if you're coming into this without really any understanding of what this director does and what his style is like you're going to be confused as fuck. But you know what? You might still enjoy it because it is still a fun film. And it's definitely it's definitely an original film compared to a lot of the crap that's out there at the moment. 
Uh, my next film that I'm reviewing is um, one that I've wanted to talk about for a long time. And it's a one that I've I've pushed on friends and family a lot over the years. Um, I can't remember when it when it came out. Actually, should we should we ask? Hang on a second. Let's ask Alexa. When did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang come out? The film Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was released about 15 years ago on the 11th of November 2005. Did you hear that? 11th of November 2005. That's when Kiss Kiss Bang Bang came out. Directed by Shane Black and starring Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer. Um, The film is about a thief turned actor who is thrown into a murder and mystery plot straight out of a pulp detective novel. Okay, so Downey plays Harry. He's a criminal who's on the run and finds himself hiding amongst some actors auditioning for a role. Uh, Desperate to get away from the police, he just kicks the door in and runs into a room. Uh, Being on edge and emotionally emotionally distraught, his actions are mistaken for acting and suddenly he's off to Hollywood. Bags the part and he's sent off to uh, meet the producers, go to a party, just get ready to become a star. Uh, And still running with it, Harry meets Gay Perry, a private investigator hired to give him detective lessons. Um, now, before you wonder if I'm just being quite inappropriate there, his character is called Gay Perry. Uh, and the reason being is, when Shane Black was putting this script together, uh, he said he wanted to, um, the character to be gay, but what he really wanted was something that he had never seen in films. And that's a, a film where the gay guy is the tough guy. He's the one that you know, he kicks ass, shoots guns, drives fast cars, and, you know, the, 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 the real kind of manly man in this situation, this dynamic, is also the gay guy. Um, and, that, you know, this is 15 years ago. Things have changed a lot since then. It wouldn't have been... I don't know. I don't know if that would be appropriate now. I don't know if anyone had a problem with that. Um, let's get back to the film. Um, so... Basically, Gay Perry's a private investigator and he's hired to give Harry some detective lessons. But when what is basically a ride-along turns into a murder investigation, their world gets turned upside down. Now Harry's criminal past could catch up to him as the police close in and the bodies begin to pile up. All of this would be less confusing for the poor guy if it didn't also involve a girl from his past. Now, that probably wasn't a great description of the film, but um, what it is, basically, it's it's... It is one of these classic um, detective noir stories about uh, murder, mystery, uh, love and deceit, um, you know, scandal and outrage and blah, 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 blah. But what it does, it kind of takes that trope and puts it into a modern setting. And it gives us a, a whole cast of different characters that are maybe, you know, not quite appropriate for the story as it would have been told in like the 40s and 50s. But in this setting, they're they're perfectly, you know, placed to be the people they are. What the fuck does that mean? I don't know. Basically, what I'm saying is the protagonist, Harry, played by Robert Downey Jr., he is quite inept. Um, and he is quite, you know, he's definitely not a hero. He's quite a self-involved um, a dodgy character with a very shady past and he's basically in hiding um, whereas Perry is a very determined individual who agreed to do this one little acting lesson thing on the side but finds himself neck deep 
in a whole situation that he's got to bring Harry along with. Um, it's a very interesting uh, story, and there is some wonderful humour in this film that both Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer give amazing performances. Uh, Val Kilmer, who up until this point hadn't actually done any real comedy, he nails it all the way through. His delivery is so sharp and witty, um, and just, you know, he doesn't he doesn't do anything that would make you uncomfortable in regards to who his character is, if you know what I mean. Um, he doesn't act gay. And I think that's that's the best way this character could have been portrayed because, as I say, Shane was trying to make sure that this character was the tough guy rather than just being some kind of flimsy, effeminate, you know, liability in the story. Um, but Val Kilmer is, is on point with this character and uh, his ability to, be, to his ability to be very cutting um and extremely funny is is fantastic um but he does it with this like angry determined kind of fed up like you kind of get the impression that he never wanted to be a, a private investigator like everything he ends up doing he does out of necessity and rather than you know out of what he wants to do um but Robert Downey Jr as Harry is fantastic and uh, one thing's I really want to kind of um, impress upon you where Downey Jr. was at this point in his career. This was his first big role when he got out of jail. And um, whilst they were looking at a couple of different actors for this role, um, they suggested Robert Downey Jr. And he came along and auditioned. Um, and they knew that they, you know, with basically what was going on with him at the moment, because he was unwanted by a lot of production companies they wouldn't have to pay him a huge amount of money to be in their film but Downey Jr. also knew at this top point in his, in his life that he needed something he needed to have a performance which said okay listen my past is my past but I'm still a great actor hire me and this was it I mean he, he delivers some moments with such perfectly weighted emotion and with such very apt sincerity at the right times I mean it, it's not the most dramatic role for him but he absolutely nails the complexity of the character um, his shady past his desire to kind of be a better man and his ability to look at himself through the eyes of someone from his past and, and realise just how far down the rabbit hole he's gone in regards to just making ends meet and doing what he needs to do. Uh, he's he, There's a, a, a bit where he confesses as to who he really is um, and discusses it with, with people that might have the wrong impression of him. Um, and he just, he knocks it out of the park. I really think this is the, the, the actual film that saved Robert Downey Jr.'s career. Maybe his life. He was, he was going down a, a very, very dangerous path at this point in his life. Um, and, you know, the, the drug situation was getting out of control. He was in and out of jail. And it, it looked like he might, you know, be a quite a tragic tale. But this role, I, I swear to God, it was a bit of an, you know, it wasn't exactly a huge hit. But it got a lot of acclaim from the critics. And um, it definitely changed his career. Straight off the back of this, 
the um, uh, was it John Favreau turned around to the people at Marvel and said, "Listen, I really want to consider Rob for Iron Man," and they were so against it. But I believe he played this film for them. Um, managed to do a quick test screening so they could have a look at what he'd be like in the role, and the rest is history. But yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. Um, I don't think it's there for very long. I think it's one of the films that are going to be taken down soon. So do go and check it out. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Robert Downey Jr., Val Kilmer. It's brilliant. It's a wonderful film. It's only about 90 minutes long. You'll you'll absolutely love it. It's a it's a, uh, a very interesting... Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not like many other films. If you can imagine, um, it's a bit like if L.A. Confidential was directed by Edgar Wright. That's how it feels. Uh, but yeah... Wonderfully entertaining. Definitely check it out. Now, my indie film this week um, is also on Amazon Prime. Uh, I'm not sure how long it's up there for, but I, I think if you haven't seen this film already, you, you need to seek it out and you need to watch it. Moon was the debut film by Duncan Jones. If you don't know who Duncan Jones is, I believe his birth certificate actually has him down as Zowie Bowie or Zoe Bowie. I don't really know how... There's, there's never really been a clear kind of like, how do you pronounce his name? Uh, but this is David Bowie's son. Um, yeah, I guess I call him Bowie, so. Zoe Bowie. Anyway, the point is, he changed his name to Duncan Jones because he had this passion for filmmaking and he didn't want to be, you know, the Bowie fans just watching it for the sake of it being that association. Uh, Duncan Jones, the filmmaker, um, made this astonishing debut. Uh, starring Sam Rockwell as Sam Bell, the loneliest man in the solar system. Working on a moon base that mines helium-3 before sending it back to Earth, Sam is nearing the end of his three-year contract. With little more to do than basic maintenance and data monitoring, Sam is not enjoying his time alone. As he counts down his final two weeks, he finds his mind is slipping. Having not been able to connect to Earth live, he relies on messages continuously coming from home, uh, but with a serious delay. And he always tries to connect to a live human out of uh, a more and more desperate need to speak to someone real. His only companion on the base is the computer, which proves an attentive but artificial friend. Uh, one day, after crashing and hurt, hurt himself quite badly, Sam awakes in the base's infirmary, having been nursed back to health, but when he ventures out to investigate the crashed vehicle, he makes a shocking discovery. Struggling to make sense of what he finds, Sam is forced to confront a new world and a truth that makes him question everything. Now, it's not giving too much away, because I'm sure you've seen in the trailer for this, if you do watch the trailer, um, that what he finds out there is himself. Um, and what you're basically start to think is like sort of you know what the hell is going on um but then you start to remember three years alone on the moon and suddenly something weird starts happening there's this ambiguity as to this guy's mental health and just you know what's actually going on with him um but then there's also questions in regard to you know What's the reality behind the moon base? You know, what are the intentions of his employers? Um, you know, what's actually happening back at home? Is he being told the whole truth? 
is this this guy that's turned up? Is it actually him? And if so, how the hell is that possible? This is this is a film which is wonderfully complicated, but pretty simple at the same time. There aren't too many twists and turns that make you think, like, I'm really struggling to keep up with this. You know exactly what's going on, and it doesn't actually seem too complicated at all. But, whilst the question seems very simple, it's, it's the severity of the answer that makes you wonder why you're even thinking of the question in the first place. And that's the kind of madness that this guy's experiencing. Um, he knows what he can see right in front of him, but to acknowledge it and to question it means he has to accept some truths which could shatter his reality because he acknowledges the fact that he's been up there three years and, and maybe he's not in the soundest mental state at the moment uh, and suddenly everything just starts falling apart around him and he's, he's not sure what to do about it. But luckily, two heads are better than one. The one thing he doesn't want to do is jeopardise his journey home. So there's a lot to consider. And trust me, by the time you get to the end of this film, yeah, you'll be crying out to, to know what happened next. Um, and it is part of a, a, a bigger universe. Um, there are films... It's part of a trilogy. Although the trilogy isn't all part of the same story. Um, if you want to watch the next film in this series, it's called Mute, and it's on Netflix. But it is not... It is not what you think. Um, but yeah, Moon by Duncan Jones. It's available now on Amazon Prime. And um, it's fantastic. It's wonderful. You will not be disappointed. Check it out. It's a really good film. Now, that's it for this week. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know. Kind of got off to a bit of a shitty start. Um, and I'm sorry if that was a bit depressing. But... It is one of those things, you know. I do enjoy the podcast. I do enjoy talking about movies. But um, this was something that was supposed to save me from my brain during lockdown. And uh, lockdown's ended. And things have gone back to reality. And uh, I've kind of come to the conclusion that the problems in my life weren't lockdown related. I just, I'm not a very happy person. But that's okay, and it's alright to talk about it. It's okay to not be okay. And you know what? If things get bad, then I'll ask for help. Because it's alright to ask for help. Now I know a lot of people are going through a lot of real, real problems at the moment. People have a lot of burdens upon them. They've got a lot of responsibility in regards to like the life they lead. They've got family uh, that rely on them to always be a positive role model in their lives and for a lot of us that's not always possible mental health is a serious situation and it affects more of us than i think we're willing to admit and whilst it is still a taboo subject and we don't want to be seen as mad or crazy sometimes you know if we had a problem with our liver we'd see a doctor about it if we had a problem with our wrist we'd see a doctor about it if there was anything wrong with any other part of our body, we'd see a doctor about it. But if our brain isn't working properly, we tend to feel that that's our responsibility, that we need to fix it ourselves. I'm here to tell you that's not the truth. 
And the best thing I've ever done, there was a time in my life when I was diagnosed with mild depression and social anxiety. Not a big problem, but it was starting to be one of those things that was growing. And if you have a problem like that, and it is starting to get in the way of you leading the quality of life that you want to be leading, and that the quality of life that everyone's, you know, entitled to lead, then don't be afraid to ask for help. For me personally, the skills I've gained from counselling in regards to recognising negative thought patterns and to understand exactly where I am in my life and how to see it in a way which doesn't end up with me spiralling into a, a dark place. Those skills that I've learnt have improved the quality of my life exponentially. I'm, I'm a much healthier person because of what I've learnt from experts. And it seems kind of stupid to say that out loud, that experts might have known more about a situation than I do. People who have studied it for years and years at university and in different places, they might actually have the information that I'm lacking to deal with the problems that are standing in my way so much. So I apologise if I've kind of brought you down a little bit this week, but I think it's important that we do talk about these kind of issues and we do share these kind of problems because we're not alone. And, you know, there are people out there that care about us and there are also people out there that don't know us but are willing to help. So you're not on your own. Do ask for help. If you don't want to go to a a doctor, if you don't want to go to your, your family and friends and you just feel a bit kind of embarrassed about the whole situation, a little insecure about like speaking up, why not drop me a line? If you want, you can find me on Facebook, drop me a message. Um, I'll even give you my personal email address. And I'm happy to sit and listen to any of your problems, anything that's on your mind, anything that's getting you down that you can't really talk to other people about. Or maybe you just don't want to burden the people closest to you with the things that, for you, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things, we, we, we don't want to tell people the things that are, are bringing us down in case it brings them down as well. We don't want our pain to be someone else's pain. But at the same time, if you have people in your life that love you, that's exactly what they want. They want to alleviate some of that burden. They want to lighten the load a little bit, and they can. Maybe they don't have the answers, but maybe that's not what you need. Maybe you just need to vocalise what's going on so that you have a better understanding of it. Again, I'm here if you need to speak to me. I can empathise with uh, these kind of problems because I've had problems myself in the past. And as I've said right now, this weekend, there's nothing technically wrong with my life. Everything's going exactly the way I want it. And I'm very happy with it. But I don't feel that way. And that's all right. That happens. So that's what I'm going to leave you with this week. I will be back next week. I don't know what kind of mood I'm going to be in, but I will be back next week. And I will try a little harder. But until then, I wish you peace, love and empathy. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy your week. And enjoy your movies. Take care. Take care.